So New Year's Eve, a couple nights ago, I've got here some funny New Year's resolutions from children. So these are actual things. Joey, age 10, says my New Year's resolution is to not eat as much sugar, but I'll probably won't keep it. <laughs> so Joey, he's, he sounds like an adult right there. Like uh, uh, This kid, age 7, uh, Sarah, says I'm going to stop picking my nose. It's going to be hard. <laughs> so uh, here's... Dylan, age 11, my New Year's resolution is to eat 10 bags of clementines each month. Okay, Dylan probably doesn't have a lot of friends. That's a weird thing to say. Uh, here's Brianna, <laughs> second grade. And my resolution is to not wig out like I'm seeing the Loch Ness Monster when I see a bug. <laughs> so some of y'all adults could take that one as well. Um, there was one or two more. My resolution is to eat more bananas because I only eat like two or three a day. <laughs> Jude, age seven. And then here's Will, age four. Dude, Will, I hear you, man. He says, my, <laughs> it doesn't even say I'm going to try. It says, I will eat all the cake. And that's the end of Will's <laughs> resolution. So I, 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 Will is my spirit animal. I get that right, man. So... Um, point being, it's the new year and we've got, you know, we're supposed to do these resolutions that we're not going to keep, you know, um, and the world is saying the, the way to move on, um, the way to move on is to just forget what's in the past and let's just make all these promises for the future, right? And that's really cool on paper, except when that theology sneaks into the church what that does is it means that we just ignore our past and then we find ourselves making these empty promises, maybe empty promises to the Lord, maybe it's an empty promise to your spouse. Dude, maybe it's an empty promise to yourself, right? The thing I know is that today's January 2nd. This is what I know. This week, the gym is going to be crowded. Are you all with me on that? There's going to be a lot of people at the gym, right? <clears throat> Here's what I also know. In three weeks, you know what? It'll be, it'll be back to normal, right? Why is this? Is because th this is our routine as we make these empty promises that, by the way, we cannot keep, and then we're disappointed, and then we look for someone to blame. Is this, is this not the way our world works? Is we make empty promises, and this is why I say regularly, I, the only promise I can make to you, here's the only promise Russell can make to you in regards to myself, is this right here. One day I will let you down. That is a promise. You know what I mean? Y'all have heard me say this before. And I'm not saying I'm going to like egg your house or cut the brake lines on your car. That's what I mean is, is one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget to call. Or one day I'm going to say something in jest and it may be a sensitive issue and I hurt your feelings. Or one day I won't laugh at your joke. Like, please, please, please hear me say this. One day I'm going to let you down. But if your faith is dependent on a man, at that moment, your faith will crumble, right? Has everybody been there, by the way? And, and in our culture, what we tend to do, and I don't think it's on purpose, is we tend to elevate, not the name of Jesus, but we tend to elevate the name of our spiritual leaders at our churches, right? And this is why, and again, there's a huge responsibility for church leadership. This doesn't excuse any behavior ever, but this is why... It, it probably in your life when a church leader lets you down, and I don't mean moral failing. I don't mean like having an affair or I don't mean like stealing from the church. I mean like 
this guy that you've put on a pedestal, one day you find out he's a human being and it crushes you. Have y'all been there before? Right? And, and this, is, this is what our world does is we create empty promises that we're not going to keep. And this is what New Year's is all about is forget what's behind. Let's make some empty promises and let's just do our best and see what happens. And then next year, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again after the year after that. And so what I want to look at is Psalm 51. I want to talk today about an issue that it, this word doesn't come up very much in Christian circles. It doesn't come up very much in Christian songs. It's the, it's the word repentance, okay? And so what I want to do, here's my outline, is I want us to look at Psalm 51, and there's a ton of stuff in there, so I'm going to go through it pretty quick, is this, is this biblical of idea of looking back on our lives, looking back on the year, and possibly rather than saying, hey, let's just forget it and move on, possibly we look back and we say, Gosh, look at how sinful I am. Look at how wretched I am. And in doing so, we glorify the name of Jesus rather than our Christian leaders. And in so doing so, grace upon grace upon grace is preached. And we walk in joy and freedom. And so look at Psalm chapter 51. My Bible, after Psalm 51, it has a little note there that is accurate. My Bible says, for the director of music, it says, A Psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had, look at this, committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so that's the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, chapter 12. We're not going to turn there, but that's the story where uh, you know this, is that it, uh, chapter 11 begins with the words, it says, in the springtime when kings go off to war, David was in his castle. So we've got a problem already. And that's the story where he looks out um, f- from his rooftop and he sees this lady bathing and he's like, dude, she's pretty hot. And then so he's like, hey, bring that hot chick up here. This is a paraphrase, by the way. Don't look this up. But he's like, bring that hot chick up here. And it's Bathsheba. And and he ends up uh, having sex with her and gets her uh, pregnant. And most likely it was a continual uh, thing. It probably wasn't a one-time thing because she was ritually unclean, which usually means that that's her time of the month. And if you have intercourse at that time of month, it's not possible to get pregnant. So the fact that she got pregnant, most likely it was, it was a recurring thing that he did over and over. And then he finds out, oh my gosh, she's married. And then David has her husband killed in battle. So I'm giving you the cliff notes here, right? Her husband who is loyal, loyal to David to cover up his sin, what does he do more? He just piles sin on top of it. He has her husband killed in battle. I mean, absolute coward of a move. And so then God sends word to David through his friend Nathan. You know this story. That Nathan comes to David and tells this story and, and, and instantly David's eyes are open. And so the Lord speaks to David through Nathan. And so this psalm is David's response to what he's done. Okay, so this is him looking back. And what I want you to see is David does not say, new year, new me. <laughs> David does, does not say, hey, here's the resolutions. I'm going to not kill more people. I'm, I'm going to not sin with that. What he says is at the end of this thing, what he does is he actually looks back on his sin and he addresses it. So look at this. I'm going to go through this pretty quick. Again, we'll, we'll just have to skip a few things. Um, but later this week in your own personal quiet time, this is a great psalm to spend some time in and meditate on. 
Psalm 51, verse 1. So remember the context. David has absolutely done horrific things. Look at this, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. And look, according to what? Your unfailing love. According to your great compassion. And so his emphasis, and and please don't miss this, is on the love and compassion of God. His emphasis is not on his promise to not do it again. Right? This is what it looks like for a man of God to fall face first into the grace of God. Is to say, have mercy on me, Jesus. Because of what? Because of your compassion. Not because of my promises. Right? This is why I'm, I'm not a fan of uh, some Christian songs that talk and sing about what I'm going to do for Jesus. Y'all know these songs? Like some of these Christian songs that say, I'm, I, uh, what's like the one that's, yes, I will. Like it's a cool song, but it says, yes, I will. Lift you high, lift you, da, 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 da. Yes, I will. Bless your name. Y'all know that song? I can sing way better than that. I just want you to know. I'm, y'all don't look impressed. But you know this, literally, this is an extremely popular song. But I mean, what is it praising? What's that, what's that song praising? It's praising my promise to Jesus. Yes, I will. And this is why we have to look at David and say, man, this is a man of God. He, he doesn't stand up and say, yes, I, I mean, he is face down and says, oh, have mercy on me, God, because of what? Because of your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And I love the fact that he admits um, that he does not deserve it. Right? This is what grace is, by the way. It's never deserved. If grace was deserved, it wouldn't be grace. If grace was deserved, it would just be your wages. Right? And this is why grace is amazing, is because it's all dependent on God's unfailing love. It is not on Russell's commitment to him. Because again, I'll say it again, what's the only promise I can make? Is that I'm going to let you down. Right? And I heard somebody say this one time, and I love it the most consistent thing I bring to my relationship with the Lord is how inconsistent I am. Y'all follow me on that? Do you want to talk about Russell's unfailing inconsistency? That's Russell's unfailing. I mean, I'm, some days I'm yes, and then some days I'm ah, oh, right? And so thank you, Lord, that we don't depend on Russell's consistency. And please, I hope you don't depend on my consistencies either, Right? And so uh, this is why we focus on the unfailing love of God. Look at verse 3. He says, verse 3 to verse 5, this is a man who is going to take ownership of his sin. Uh, I want you to see how countercultural verse 3 to verse 5 is. Because right now, I hope you're paying attention. If you're old enough, you'll know this easily. If you're some of the younger ones in the room, you may not recognize it. But please, um, older saints in the room, please affirm me on this. We live in a victim culture, right? Okay, okay. So, and even some of the young people can see that. We live in a culture that everybody's a victim. And the thing about being a victim is if I can convince you that I'm the victim, then I am not responsible for my actions. Do you all see this? I'm not making this up. If I can convince you that somehow I'm a victim of culture or a victim of uh, troubled upbringing, if I can blame my dad, 
if I can blame my skin color, if I can blame my mental health, if I can put a label on it, then suddenly Russell is the victim and suddenly Russell, I'm, I'm really not very responsible for what I'm, I've done, right? And so look what he does in verse three to verse five. Absolutely countercultural. He is going to own his sin. Verse three, for I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Look at verse 4. Against who? Against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Gosh, we don't like that word. The word judge. This is another thing that stands in the face of our culture. One of the common theological errors that is taught in our culture, and guys, it's seeking, it's seeking its way into the church, is this right here. Only God can judge me. And for the believer, remember, that's not true. We talked about that at length weeks ago, right? And, and people take that uh, verse where Jesus says, hey, do not judge lest you too shall be judged. And we take that verse by itself, and we make it a tattoo or something. Here's the problem with that verse. is There's verses after it. And he says, the manner in which you judge, you two will also be judged. And so remember, guys, as believers, we're actually called to judge one another. But we're called to do it correctly. That verse where Jesus says, do not judge lest you two shall be judged. It is not about not judging. It is about being a correct position to judge justly. Are you following me on that? And so again... Again, and I'm going to go quick on this because we've said it before. You can go to some uh, gyms and literally the biggest words it says up on the top of the gym is judgment-free zone. Man, this is our culture. This is our culture is don't you judge me. Don't you tell me what to do. Don't you uh, speak correction in my life. Only God can judge me. And so we live in a victim and a judgment-free world which just leads to a bunch of powder puff snowflakes right and and when this seeps into the church this is why you'll have churches that are just a bunch of people that are overly sensitive that when they get their feelings hurt what do they do they just go find another church that just preaches what they want to hear right rather than us being men and women of god like i mean like think of like battle ready men like i think of like the old movies like this like Braveheart and stuff like that like these gristled tough men like imagine if they were just sensitive weenies you know like like that image of of uh uh William Wallace and his army man that's an image of the church it's like these men and women that are ready to die like ready to give everything and they're tough and and that like when they have tough skin but a soft heart you know um, anyways, verse 3 to 5, he's owning his sin. He says, you are justified when you judge. Verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth. Look at how much he does not blame others. Sinful from the time my mothers conceived me. Uh, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the most place. And so, guys, remember, this is a man, again, when we're talking about the new year, rather than saying, hey, new year, no me, there's a part of us that we can look back and say, Lord, this is where I failed over and over and over, and that we can own our uh, sin. And so I want to point this out, because this, this comes up every time, is that some people are always, there's always this discussion of, first of all, Russell, 
chill out, right? Russell, you need to take a Xanax. Like, the, just relax, calm down, right? And, and there's always this discussion, and I guarantee you can feel it in your heart too, is this thought right here. Hey, Russell, I'm not a murderer, right? Russell, this, this, is, this is David and Bathsheba. Hey, Russell, I haven't had adultery with, with a w- woman this year. I haven't gotten her pregnant. Russell, I haven't killed anyone. Hey, Russell, Russell, could you, this year, so, that's what you heard? Yeah, thanks. Y'all are terrible. But there's a, there's a part of all of us, and, and don't tell me there's not, there's a part of all of us that honestly we say, I'm, I'm not a murderer, Russell. I haven't robbed banks, you know what I mean? Like, but, but guys, here's the thing, is that the issue is not the size of the sin. This is some deep theology. Please remember this. The issue is not the size of the sin. The issue is who the sin is committed against. And so David just said, against who have I sinned? God, right? Here's, here's my example. If I said to you, hey, what did you do on New Year's Eve? And you look at me and say, we stayed home. And in reality, you had gone to, uh, I don't know, Applebee's or something, right? If you look at me and lie to my face about where you've been, what's the repercussions? Honestly, r- r- nothing. Like, really, uh, I'll say, hey, why'd you lie about that? And you'll say, oh, sorry, I just, I, was in, I just wanted to, I don't know, say I was at home. Okay, so here's the thing. Now, that exact same question, that exact same lie, if you are standing before a federal judge and they look at you and say, where were you on New Year's Eve? And you look at a federal judge and say word for word the lie that you lied to me if you looked at a judge and said, I just stayed home on New Year's Eve, when in the reality is that you had gone to Applebee's. Notice what has changed. The sin hasn't changed. What has changed? What's changed is the person that you're lying to. And now that exact same sin, when you are lying to a federal judge, now that's called perjury and you're facing jail time. Why is that? Because the size of the sin doesn't matter. It's whom we have sinned against that matters, right? And so this is why David says, against you, Lord, I have sinned. And this is why this is always a difficult topic, repentance. This is why I don't talk about it a lot, because a lot of us think we're okay. We think, I'm, I'm not that bad of a person, right? Uh, keep going, verse 6. I want you to see how affected he is. He said, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Look at verse 8. Like this is, this is a man that is affected by what he's done. He, he is not calloused. His heart is soft. And again, this is so countercultural because our world wants to raise up a generation that has soft skin and hard hearts. And the Bible wants to raise up a generation of people that have tough skin and soft hearts. You see the difference there, right? And so look what he says. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. What I would say about David here is he is deeply affected by what he has done here, right? He is deeply affected that this thing happens and it, it, it kind of, it, it stays with him, you know? It stays with, he doesn't just brush it off, 
right? Uh, this is the way calluses work, by the way. You know that, right? Is that if you have calluses, you know, I work with my hands and, and I have real, I have huge calluses on my knees. Like so much so, <laughs> I knew you were going to be smiling at me, Kyle. So much so that like sometimes if I'm wearing shorts, and usually my shorts are kind of short because they're just soccer shorts, so don't hate. It's just how it is, man. Like the, I've had people come up and say, dude, what's wrong with your knees? Nothing's wrong with them. They're just calloused. Like they're just calloused. And the way a callus works is that over time, something that would have affected me greatly, I build up a callus to it so that I no longer have that effect to it. That's the way a callus works. And it works the exact same way with our heart, right? Is that over time we can, these things that at once they did impact us, we get used to it and then our hearts become hardened. Um, let's see if anyone remembers. It was about six months ago on my truck. I was driving along one day and uh, I'm going along and one of the little lights comes on on my dashboard, you know? And so the light comes on, and, and I'm a believer in, you know, you got to take care of your machines, right? And so the, a lot of things will last a long time, but you got to take care of it. And so that light comes on, and it's like, I don't know, it's like a vertical line, and it has like some dots on this side, and then this side it has arrows going this way. And so I'm like, I have no idea what this is, but I'm concerned. You know what I mean? A light comes on, and that light is a warning light saying, hey, something is not operating correctly under the hood. And so as I was so concerned that as I was driving, I was Googling it. I wasn't texting and driving, so it's safe, okay? I don't text and drive, it's crazy. But literally, as I was driving, I was Googling. I said, oh my gosh, you know, dashboard lights for 2002 Ford. And, and I, like, I'm, I'm so worried that I'm like, oh, I, I wanna make sure nothing bad happens. And so um, I find out the light has something to do with an air sensor or something like that. And, and it needs to get fixed, but it's not an emergency. Are you with me? And so at first, that light really affected me. At first, that light came on. I was like, I got to do something about this. And then the next time I got in my truck, I started up. And guess what? The light pops on. And what, what do I think? I was like, oh, okay, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll get to it. I will. Okay, let's fast forward six months. Who wants to guess what light is still on in my truck? The same light. Yeah. Now, and who wants to guess, guys, do I even notice it? Here's the, here's the thing. Do I even notice that light? I really don't. It has become so routine. It has be, become so, it, probably if it went off, I would probably notice it. But my mind, my, my, I don't even see it anymore, right? And this is the progress of a heart becoming hardened over time, right? Is that these things that at first we would say, oh my gosh, what have we done? And that now we just, we cover it up or we give it a new name, right? Like what, like in our culture that we kill unborn babies in the womb, we're not affected. And in fact, we give it a name, we call it healthcare. And if we give it a name and, and everybody accepts it, then we're, we'll just kind of just keep walking, right? And David is a man that he is affected by his sin. Uh, let me read this. Uh, because the more we understand our sin, the more we can worship Jesus. I've, I've said this before, that do you remember when you first come to know the Lord, you, you recognize that here's man and here's God, right? And, and you recognize that there's this separation between man and God and that Jesus fills that gap, that he was the 
God-man, right? He wasn't the God that became man. He wasn't 50. He was the God-man. And so do you remember when you, when or if, some of y'all may not be believers yet, but when you first become a believer, you recognize the gap that Jesus fills and it fills you with joy, right? And it fills you with hope. And, and here's the thing is that every Every believer I know that's like, you know, that they've been walking with the Lord for 50 or 60 years, what happens over time is this. As time moves forward, your understanding of God increases, right? Your understanding of who He is, your understanding of unconditional love increases. Like the longer you're married, the more you understand unconditional love. And so as time goes on, your understanding of God increases and... If you're, a, if you're an honest person, your understanding of your own self and nature decreases. This isn't self-hate. This is just understanding our nature, right? This is what David does right here, right? And so over time, what happens, this is the important part, is that as my understanding of the Lord increases and as my understanding of my true nature uh, decreases, what happens to that gap? It grows. And so this is why, guys, over time, our affections, remember, what fills that gap? Jesus Christ. This is why over time, our affections for Jesus should grow and grow and grow. Do you know that, that old, older, more experienced Christian, I mean someone who's in their 80s, 90s plus that have been walking with the Lord for decades, and their affections for Jesus are greater than they've ever been. Do you all know that person? Why is that? It's because over their life they've realized the greatness of the Lord. They've realized the depths of the grave to which He reached to, uh, to save us. And so as a result, Jesus in their mind and in their soul increases, increases, increases. This is why later on a man would come along and say, He must what? Increase what? I must decrease. That's not self-hate. That's just a true understanding. And that's what maturity is as we recognize, man, even these... When I look back on 2021, man, the places where I failed, those are serious. And I've, I have failed against a perfect judge. This is why when you read, don't go there, but in Philippians chapter 3, Paul, this is earlier on, this is why Paul says this. He says, I put no confidence in the flesh. Listen to what Paul says. He's going to describe himself. He says, though I myself have has reasons for such confidence, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Listen to Paul describe himself. This is early in his ministry, and this is called a humble brag. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, I was a tribe of, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. So this is Paul earlier in his ministry. Let's read out of 1 Timothy. This is years and years later. Do you want to hear Paul describe himself? He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Listen to this. Of whom I am the worst. Right? So you can see even Paul, you know, New Testament theology, Paul, as he progresses, he understands more and more the depths of his sin and who he sinned against. Um, look at back at Psalm 51. 
Again, we just said that, that David has owned his sin. He said that he is deeply affected by his sin. And then look at verse 10. We'll go uh, 10 to 12. He says, And create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He says, do not, cast from, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So be careful with that rhetoric. Remember, this is Old Testament theology. At the time, the Holy Spirit... Uh, would come upon uh, individuals, but the Holy Spirit would not indwell individuals. Okay, And so where he says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, that's Old Covenant theology. Now, New Covenant theology, New Testament theology, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer, he stays for all time. Okay, He's, he's indwelling believers. So that was for free. Seminary class, you're welcome. He says, verse 12, restore to me the... What's the word right there? Joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So this is the point is that I know it's popular and easier to look forward and say new year's resolutions, new year's new me. And I know it's not fun to look back and say Lord, I've I've failed and I continue to fail. But why do we do this? What's the word right there? He says joy. He says restore to me the joy of this, right? That this is what we're made for is we're made for joy. There's joy in our salvation. And I love that even during the Advent calendar, do you remember we talked about joy one day? And, and to be honest, we said, man, sometimes I'm joy-filled and sometimes I don't feel very joy-filled, right? Am I the, right? Is it just me? I was just being honest, right? And we said that joy does not manifest itself in happiness, but joy manifests itself in peace, Right? And that, and that you say, why should we be talking about repentance? Why do we look back at our sin? It's for joy. It's for peace, right? This is, this is life. Go on to verse 15. He says, then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from the blood guilt, O God. The God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness uh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So this is what I want to notice. The result is that he can worship. But I want you to notice the result is him. It says right here, he says, I will teach. He says, um, I will, my tongue will sing. He says, I will open my lips. He says, my mouth will declare. Notice the result is not just between him and the Lord. It's between him and the Lord and what? Other people. Because he says, I'm going to go teach. My mouth will speak. And so these are all point to activities of public worship. These all point to activities of people coming together. Man, again, this stands in the face of our culture. We live in the Western culture where everything is about me. We're very individualistic, right? Uh, we value individualism rather than the collective whole. And this is why you can even see on some church signs, they'll even say things like, it's just me and Jesus. This is why you can, you can go to some churches and even during the worship, they'll say, hey, just draw a circle around yourself and make it just between you and the Lord. Have y'all seen this? Guys, that's very unbiblical. We're not designed to just be me and Jesus. The outcome of, of, of this joy is that we share it with others, that we go uh, with others. There was one time when we were in Israel, I think it was the second trip we'd taken, um, and one of the things that we do is we go up on the Sea of Galilee, and 
they take us out on a boat. I don't know, the boat's maybe 30 feet long or something like that. Um, and so there's, no, it's probably longer than that. But there was like 30 of us on this boat, and you go out on the Sea of Galilee, all right, and, and you're out there, and our, um, our tour guide, his name was Ronin, he would, he would teach for us a little bit. And then uh, he would start, they'd play some music. They'd, they'd play some like worship songs, right? And it's pretty funny because Ronin is 100% from Israel, right? And so he is from a, um, a holistic uh, culture that values the group of people. And we are a bunch of white people. And so we're from, all from Texas. And so we value individual. And so it, it was pretty funny that we started playing this worship music and you could see there's a stark difference between the way Jewish people worship and the way us other uh, Americans worship. And it was funny because we got to watch it on this boat because what Jewish people do, the Eastern, Eastern religions, their worship is about being collective. Their worship is about being together. Their worship is about celebrating. And, and they go around and, and they're excited. You know what I mean? Have y'all, like, think of like even a Jewish wedding. The, they do the thing and it's fun and it's, it has culture. And, and then uh, our worship is what? Is we kind of close ourselves off and it's just me and Jesus, and, and we, we view it as kind of, um, kind of a failure if other people are involved. But have you ever made eye contact with someone during worship? Right? You laugh, right? Have you all ever done that? Isn't it super weird? <laughs> right? And so anyways, we're on this boat, and it's just funny because we get to see these two cultures clash because we have... Um, these, we have two people on the, on the boat that are the big characters. Ronin, our Jewish tour guide over here. And then over here we have my friend Joel Inge, who's quite a character as well. And so it's pretty funny because you have these two guys worshiping, which they worship big, and, and they don't worship the same way. And so there's literally a moment where Joel was, and most of y'all know Joel, where Joel had his eyes closed and his hands up worshiping like this. Joel was in his own world. And where Ronin goes over and grabs his hands and starts shaking them <laughs> and trying to, trying to get Joel to dance. And it took about five or ten minutes, but fast forward a few minutes and you've got all these white people. Now we're dancing on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And it, it was, man, didn't it take, I'm trying to think, who is it? You were there, wife. It, it took... It took, it took a while to get there, didn't it? And it felt unnatural and it felt weird. But then the joy was a shared expression. It was a shared moment, right? And so please don't miss that, that, that everything that David has said in this psalm so far, it leads to and, and, and finally manifests itself in, hey, now I can worship with my people again. I can share joy with others. That it's not just between me and God. This is very countercultural. And then the last thing here, verse 16, he says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Okay, so pause there for one second. The interesting thing about that is that right now the, the, um, God has um, set up the sacrificial system and he wants sacrifices, and he told them to make burnt offerings. So God told them, he said, hey, I want you to sacrifice, and I want you to make burnt offerings. But look what David just said. He said, you do not delight in these things. And then look, verse 17, he says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. 
a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So I want to point that out that that what David says is there are some external things to living. There are some external things to life. And guys, please hear me say this in our Christian culture or in our religious culture. Guys, if our heart is not a broken heart before the Lord, none of that crap matters. In fact, it says that God does not delight in those things. In fact, you can go... We don't have time. You can go look in Isaiah chapter 1, and God says, Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, which, by the way, God told him to do that. It says, Go read this. It says, My soul hates. And so there's this huge gap here that he says, Hey, even if we're doing the right things, and please hear me, people who live in an extremely religious culture. That we come to church because it's, it's what we're supposed to do, right? That, that even if we're doing the right things, but our hearts are hardened and far from God, Scripture says that the Lord actually hates that. And, and it, He does not delight in it. And it does not bring Him joy. And so, um, he, and then He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken Spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is exactly what uh, Junior said somewhere along these lines. He said, the best place is to be and when you, is where you are completely dependent on the Lord. Have you all been there before? I mean, where you reach that point where you are 100%, God, I can not do this on my own. That's the best safest place to be and it may be a place that the rest of the world would look at and say you are absolutely crazy right i think of uh, daniel in the lion's den have you ever thought about this where on earth was the safest place for daniel to be where was it in the lion's den have you ever thought about that don't don't miss that where was the safest place for Daniel in a den full of hungry lions why was that the safest place because that was right in the middle of God's will now other people looking at it what were they going to say that dude's dead meat they're going to say there's no way that's going to work out man that, that's a crazy thought that Daniel had incredible peace while he was surrounded by these animals that would view him as a chicken nugget and that at any moment they could have devoured him. He had absolute peace. Um, I'll, I'll say it like this and, and then we'll, we're almost done here. Is that, um, have you ever done the, the game, and I've said this before, where you put on the blindfold, right? Uh, when, when I was a youth pastor, we went to a youth camp in Colorado. And one game that we played was you'd put your, we'd get in the line and you'd put your hands on the shoulders of the person in front of you. And they would put a blindfold on all of us. And the person up front would lead and they took us on a on a trail like a hiking trail you know now not like with huge terrible death defying falls or stuff like that but you know it's on rocks and stuff and so and, and but we were all blindfolded but but here's the thing is that when you're blindfolded and and don't pretend like you don't do this you're not really blind you know what i mean what when we're blindfolded what can everybody see you can see what like you know what i mean you can see this little bitty spot right down in here. Can't y'all? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? 
that, and no matter what, that people put a blindfold on you and they go, can you see? What do you say? You say, no, ha, 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 right? Now, now listen, can you see 100%? No, <clears throat> but look, I can see about 2%, right? Maybe 2%, maybe 3%. Okay, so, so here's the challenge here, guys. If we are 98% dependent on the Lord, you will always operate your life out of your 2%. Please don't miss that. If you are 98%, and this is, this is why David say, man, a broken spirit, a contrite, I mean, someone who is absolutely at the end of their selves, that's where God says, okay, now we can start. If you're 98% devoted, everything you you do will be through that 2%. This is what I mean. As we were at that camp and as they were leading us along, now listen, one of the counselors was telling us, hey, you're about to walk on a bridge. And so I'm hearing what he says. Now listen to me. Do I believe what he says? Yeah, he, he, he's not, he's not going to lead me off a cliff. And so listen, he speaks to me and he says, you're about to walk on a bridge. And so I'm going from rocks to bridge. So I believe what he says. But what do I do? Everything that he says, I filter it through what? My 2%. Y'all follow me on that? Even though he can see everything, even though I believe him, even though he is for me, even though he's never given me a reason not to trust, he says, hey, you're about to walk over a bridge. I say, okay, I believe the bridge, but I'm still looking through the bottom of my blindfold. Or is it just me? Does everyone else do that? So when I say that if we're 98% devoted, we will filter everything through that 2%. That's what I mean, right? And at that point, do we really actually trust him 100%? No. It's like the same way that, that we say, you know, anytime there's truth, there's also lies. And when we say something is 99% true, what is it? It's just a lie. It's just a nice way of saying uh, uh, just a lie, Right? And so this is why when David says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Last thing, verse 18. He says, in your good pleasure, make, what's the word there? Zion. Okay. Make, it, it's not David. Look, he says, in your good pleasure, make what? Zion. He doesn't say make me prosper. He says, build up the walls of what? Jerusalem. He, he doesn't say protect me. He says, then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And so what he does is there is a relationship between David's individual spiritual health and the well-being of the entirety of God's people. Please don't miss that. Or I'll say it this way. Guys, we are so connected that, that our sin affects one another. Our unrepentant, unconfessed sin, right? But if you believe the garbage that's constantly spoken in our culture, that it's just me and Jesus. If you believe that you're in this isolated gospel, that when you sin or need to confess or repent, that it's just between, just between you and the big man and it has no effect on others, you're believing a lie, right? Think of the body, you know, how much everything affects everything else. This is what Paul says, you know, is that we are, we are connected and that my sin affects you and that, that your faithfulness affects me and that we need each other. 
right? And that somebody needs what you have. Please don't hear, I mean, please don't miss that. Somebody needs what you have. Someone needs a word of encouragement from you. Like somebody needs to, to know what you've been through. Somebody needs to know your difficulty and your struggle. Why is that? Because we're, we're made together. We're not these individual little temples. We are the temple. That's what the, that's what the New Testament preaches. We're not a bunch of little churches. We are the church. And it's not Christ in me. It's Christ in what? Us. That's what that verse says. When he says Christ in you, when Paul says Christ in you, the hope of glory, it is not the Christ in you. It's Christ in y'all in the original Greek. It's plural. Christ in y'all. And so, uh, last thing I'll, I'll just say is, man, New Year, maybe it's not New Year, New Me. Maybe it's New Year. Man, let's look back. Maybe we, maybe we repent. Maybe we say, Lord, I have just struggled. Maybe we go to others. Maybe we say, hey, man, can you just pray for me on this? Maybe we say, this is an area of weakness in my life. Why? So that we can lead to the greatest joy, so that we can walk in peace, so that we can walk in freedom. Man, this is for our good. Has anyone ever finally taken off the mask? I mean it. Has anyone ever just finally said, hey, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore? that I have to pretend like everything's perfect. Man, you want to talk about a weight off of your shoulders is to drop that fake facade of everything's great, everything's perfect, you know. Um, I'm done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, and thank you for your word. And God, thank you that you speak to us um, through your word, and you speak to us through your spirit, and you speak to us through your church. And Lord, help us to see that that maybe a per- somebody in this room, maybe we are here on assignment from you just to speak truth to them, just to encourage them, just to give them a hug. Uh, maybe this week we call somebody and, and to realize that we are on assignment from you to just reach out to others and to let them know that we love them and we care for them. And, and Lord, I pray that we would constantly fight back on the isolated gospel. Lord, we pray that, that we would be people that we would have tough skin. I mean, tough skin. But our, our hearts would be so soft. Lord, and I pray that we'd be people that, that we'd realize we are not victims. That our culture wants to make us a victim of something and to escape responsibility. Lord, help us to see we're not victims. You actually said we are more than conquerors. And so that's the truth. That's who we are. And that we would live like it. And so, Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for your grace. I pray we would be people of grace. That when we wrong others, that when we do, we'd go ask for forgiveness and then that grace would be given. Um, And that forgiveness would be given. It It is a beautiful thing when grace is given and given and given and given. Like manna in the desert every single day. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Uh, Lord, I pray that this year, I pray it would be an amazing year, but maybe it's a year of repentance. Maybe it's a year of we, of we confess and we grow in that confession. And so, Lord, this is our prayer. Amen.